Hello, Catherine Williamson, Gobstopper, episode four. Joined today by my partner in crime, Jill. Hello. Right, we've got a cracker today, Jill. Imposter syndrome. Mm. Right, Jill, everybody's got imposter syndrome at the moment and everybody's been (laughs) out with a narcissist or has got a narcissistic boss. We're in the land of labelling, aren't we? We are. So let's go with imposter syndrome. Let's crack off with a definition before or else. So I think it's about thinking that you're not as able or as deserving or capable as other people think you are. But I want to say at this point that it's not a syndrome. It's not like Down syndrome. It's not a psychological diagnosis. So as we work through this, perhaps we should think about it as an imposter thought pattern. But we'll call it imposter syndrome. But I just want to put that health warning in. Okay. So why do you think it's become the thing to talk about? I mean, other people I know, it's out there, isn't it? Some big named people going on about imposter syndrome. Why currently at the moment do we seem to be talking about it so much more? Do you know, I found this really interesting as I thought about that because I actually spent a little bit of time looking at where the phrase had come from because I knew it wasn't a psychological diagnosis. So I thought, well, why that title? And the first time I've been able to track it back was to the late 1970s, uh, two American psychologists, uh, Clance and Inns, looked at high-achieving professionals and they looked at it particularly in high-achieving women. Um, And then more recently, other companies, particularly consultancies, have picked it up. So KPMG did a really interesting piece of work in about 2020 where they looked at Um, 750 female executives, again women, um, and 75% of them said that they'd experienced what they called imposter syndrome. And 81% said that they felt like imposters when they compared themselves to men, which I found really interesting. But then when you looked at it more widely, you found that actually men get imposter syndrome too or say they've got imposter syndrome and that it's common across ethnicity, race, gender and sexual orientation. People say they have imposter syndrome. What we do find is that it's more prevalent in high achievers. Um, So that's something that I'd be really interested to look at more, that, you know, why high achievers. And and in fact, um, a recent study where they looked at junior doctors in residence found that well over 30% of them had imposter syndrome. So, you know, these are some of the brightest of the bright. And and we find it most dominant with high achievers in minority groups. So uh, you've said high achievers three times. Now, I think I know what you mean by high achiever, but just so we understand that, what is yeah. it, What are we saying when somebody's a high achiever? So people who are recognised by others as doing a really good job, you know, in school they probably will have got good exam results. I'm sure, well, this certainly is true of me. I remember now going back to when I was 16 and I was in the lower sixth and I always worked hard and I was at a mixed grammar school where goodness me, they put the exam results on a board in order. And it was the first economics exam I'd I'd ever sat. And I walk in and there's a boy in front of me, and I'm not going to say what his name is in the podcast, but I remember his name well. And he said, 
There's Jill Finlan again. That was me. (laughs) What a swat. Trust her to come top. And I can remember thinking, if you XX, not swearing, but that's his name, if you worked as hard as I did, you'd get a much better result than me. I got really excited that you were no, bleeping, no, no, bleeping out your swearing. No, I wasn't going to swear. No, I wasn't going to swear. <laughs> but I just didn't want to, I don't even know if he's still alive. <laughs> anyway, if we move on. Jill, it strikes me, you know, when you take a new job and you've got very excited and you might have just overpitched your skill set at the interview and you're getting on with the job and it's keeping you awake at night and you're getting a bit worried about it and you worry that you're going to fail. Is that not just normal stretch? When does it become, I feel like I'm an imposter, or is it the same thing? That's why I think it's it's not good to call it imposter syndrome, because I think it's a way of thinking that we can just talk our way out of. I think some people really struggle more than others. I think we can all identify people um, who think that they're much less able than other people think they are people who constantly just really struggle to take any sort of praise and recognition Um, or people who think that other people see them more positively than they should. And I think if people are continually like that, then we need to help them. And I think, again, we're back to our previous podcast on good managers. I think good managers can help them and can build their confidence and they can actually show them the numbers, the evidence, the data that shows that they are doing really well. Now, they might never be the people who are going to blow their own trumpets. But nonetheless, it's not a syndrome. It's not a clinical diagnosis, whereas I think there are groups of people who will never get beyond that space because they do have some sort of clinical problem. Mm -hmm. But people like you and I who've been in a job and in the first few weeks we're thinking, oh, my goodness. What have we done? What have I done? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And this really is where I think good coaching comes in. There's a lot of evidence that shows that the most productive coaching is what I call transition coaching, when people move from one role into the next. And certainly being able to walk that journey with people is one of the best ways for just helping them to move into a role where it feels at the beginning, and again, I'm sure you can identify with this, as if you're you're wearing new tight shoes that just are uncomfortable, to get into the stage where you're just being you in that role and it's a bit like wearing old slippers or old trainers where you just know that you can do it as you. Uh, you really remind me of, uh, I didn't coach this lady, but I remember she was a fantastic sales manager. She had a team that were really, really adored her. She used to have her meetings on a Friday. They used to have pizzas and there was pizzas and beers. And then they made a sales director. And the next minute she had a haircut. She changed the clothes. She went very proper, <laughs> extremely proper. And the very thing that had made her so magical with her team she just seemed to get it all buttoned down and it was so interesting to see that she'd lost sight of the very thing that had got the promotion and it must have been imposter syndrome because it was almost like somebody flicks it was like mm-hmm. night and day mm-hmm. that that behavior could only be at manager level now I've got to be a director and sometimes you have to unpack that don't you mm. for people to get them back to what it was that got them to the job in the first yeah, place absolutely 
I can remember when I got my first head teacher's post and I was in my early 30s and it, and it wasn't an easy job. It really was not an easy job. And part of the problem, I think, when you go into that in a minority setting, you know, I was a young woman, I was the first secondary head they'd ever had in that local education authority. Um, I'm a young mom, um, and I, I just wasn't what they'd expected. And I think most people in their head have an, an idea of what they expect, in this case of a head teacher. Um, and it's and it's based on their previous experience. Most people, as a secondary school head in the nineteen eighties, it would have been a, it would have been a man, um, it would have been a white man, um, and they'd have probably been in their f- late forties, early fifties. Um, I've never been any bigger than I am now, and and I didn't fit that mode really. And I remember that it took quite a long time before people accepted me as their head teacher. And um, I think I might have talked about this on a previous podcast, I can't remember. But there was an incident when I'd been at the school for about eight or nine months, and, and it was in a very, very poor area of an authority in the north of England. And there was a boy who had discovered at lunchtime that the man he thought was his dad wasn't his dad and that his real dad was in prison serving life. And he'd had a lot to drink during the lunch break. He'd come in, had broken into the PE cupboard, had taken a javelin, and had come back to get one of the male PE staff. And the school was built in a sort of horseshoe shape, and my office was upstairs at the sort of head of this horseshoe. And I can remember afternoon school had just started and, and this, there was this very, very noisy exchange going on outside. And it was this lad shouting this teacher's name with the javelin. You could see noses pressed up against the windows looking at what was happening. And I can remember thinking, I just have to get that javelin out off him or he'll ruin his life. And, and he was someone I taught, so I... I, I only taught him for for one module, but I did know him. So I remember dashing downstairs. Um, the PE staff would have been proud at the speed that I ran. And I just walked up to him and I took the javelin out of his hand. And it it wouldn't be accepted now, but I can remember hugging him and he hugged me and we we both got tears in our eyes. And I walked him back into school. And as I turned, the male PE staff were a good way behind me. But at that point, I became the head teacher because what they'd seen was was someone with strength and that's what they expected in a head. And at that point, everything started to change in that school. Um, And so I think often it's about those moments where people actually see you and could can actually make a connection between what they expect and who you are. Um, And if they'd known me, they'd always have known that that was what I was going to do because it's who I am. Um, But they'd never seen it before because there'd never been the opportunity to show that before. And in that moment, when we're confronted with those moments, you you could say up to that point how you would react. 
but how you do react and they saw that boldness and that courage but I love the fact that you said that lad was just about to ruin the rest of his life absolutely and I was there not because I wanted children to get the best exam results in that local authority we weren't that sort of area but I did want them to be able to make the most of their lives and that's what you appoint head teachers for so I've been called in on a coaching assignments and I'm sure you have where for whatever reason imposter syndrome in a new hire or somebody that you're working with has got to that point to almost paralysis they're just sort of like frightened rabbits in their head like completely disconnected from their own ability so just looking at it from what can managers do in that situation and what can we as individuals do to manage the situation when we might say that we're gripped by imposter syndrome okay I'm going to Twist your question a little bit because you started by saying we've been in that situation as coaches. And I think as a coach, one of the things that that you and I always try and do is to help the person to see who they are and the value that they bring and the strengths that they have. And I think the more we can do that and the more then the coach manager Mm. can begin to tell them in your words earlier on why they've been appointed, this is why we hired you. And this is what we expect. And I think as a manager, if you've been involved in that appointment, and even if you haven't, you have a responsibility to help them succeed because your success is their success. And so for me, it's almost back to our previous podcast where great managers are invested in the success of their people, just like great head teachers. Mm. And it's actually about helping people to see in a mirror how they can do the job being them and it's then standing alongside them and and often as a manager and I'm sure you've done this as a parent I certainly have you're kind of almost tweaking the role along the way to make it a better fit for them I don't know if you've ever done any sewing but certainly I have and um, when you're trying to fit someone for a dress, you think you've made it the right size and then they, they come for a fitting and you're having to take all sorts of bits in and let bits out. And it's almost trying to do that with the role so that the role fits the person. If you've hired someone who's a 75% fit for a role, you've done a pretty good job and it's much easier to actually then begin to tweak the role to fit the person rather than trying to get the person to change. I've been married for over 50 years. And if you can't change someone you've lived with for over 50 years, your chances of being able to change someone if you've hired for a job are very slim. You remind me when I was probably about nine or ten, maybe not much older, and I was desperate to learn to knit. And I was profoundly left... I am profoundly left-handed. And my, it just wasn't going well between me and my mum. She just couldn't help me. And a lovely lady called Cathy Cyril, who was um, Jimmy Cyril's wife, he was a manager of Notts County, as it happened, she learnt to knit left-handed so she could teach me. Wow. So we did the turning it around. And I was getting pretty demoralised. But I remember then she just said, the only way I'm going to really help you to do this is if I learn to do it. And then eventually we got there. And I, I sit here with great warmth. I don't think at that point I'd realised I'd got imposter syndrome because I couldn't knit. But I realised the way she had she adjusted to my yeah. need. Or I could have at that point just said, I'll never be a knitter. Yeah. And that's sometimes what happens, isn't it, when our bosses can't can't help us to connect to our own sense of talent. I think that's right. I think 
I think, you know, managers can help by assuming it will be there and looking for it because it is so common. I think now people are having far more courage to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But assume it will be there and particularly look for it in high achievers, you know, those who are always beating themselves up for mistakes, those who really struggle to accept praise. Um, talk about it. Talk about when you've had it, because most people have. Um, And try and reframe it. Don't talk about it as a syndrome. Talk about imposter thoughts and talk to them about the fact that it can be fleeting and we can help you get over it. Talk about career planning. Help them to see how they can grow. Even yesterday, you know that some of the work I do is in Myanmar. And I was talking to someone about their next career move and saying... I'm not sure that that learning lots and lots of technical stuff is where you're best. I've seen you do some really brilliant general manager stuff. You might want to look at your next move at another general management role at at a higher level before you go into more senior general management role and to learn some of the technical stuff that you need online. Because to be a general manager, you won't need that level of technical stuff. But she's a brilliant general manager. So actually talking to them about their own career planning, challenge some of the stereotypes about women and in age and so on, um, and start to build that psychological safety so that people recognise that Often what they're good at is bringing people together as a team. I can think of someone else I work with in in Myanmar who moved out of the bank that I work in and is really working now in a solo role. And I meet her for an online coffee once a month and we were talking last week and I was saying, you know, you're a brilliant team leader. I just think you're being wasted in this role. Uh, And we talked then about the fact that what she really brings is an ability with people and recognising and valuing that. And and then talking about how we can all learn from mistakes and talking about some of the mistakes you've made as a manager. I think all of those things help people to move beyond imposter syndrome. And to me, you know, I'd love to put on a course, maybe this is our next away day (laughs) course, is, you know, Really moving beyond imposter syndrome as a manager. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you help your people to do that? But recognising as well that people can help themselves. Yes, I think we've always got to stay mindful, haven't we? That we, we've got our skin in the game in this. Between the intention of taking a role and our hopes and our prayers of how it's going to go and the reality of what we're going to do to take responsibility to get better and to but you know that's it that comes into the the strength of the relationship mm. isn't it it comes mm. back to the sort of mm. covid to me a bit like covid stuff that you talked about wasn't it that we measure ourselves by our intentions other people measure us by our actions and the more you seek to try and establish a good relationship with the individual you're managing so that you've got that powerful relationship to do the course adjustments. And mm. and it brings me around to, I think, what I would like to do for our next podcast, which we haven't discussed, but see what you think, Jill. Psychological safety. Yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah. How do I build psychological, psychological safety? Because yeah. it's great being, you know, we've got to be vulnerable and we've got to do authenticity. But 
those are not easy asks if we no, don't feel not. safe to That's do it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and sometimes when we might be putting our hands up saying it's my imposter syndrome, maybe what we're picking up is the climate and the culture and the environment. Absolutely. It's just not, it's, we're just not going to flourish Yeah, as it stands. Yeah. So I think we've had another cracking route through a, an interesting subject. Yeah. So we should, we've got a definition. We know a little bit more about it. We understand where some of the research... love how you do that research, Jill. Hmm. I got goose pimples over that story about he's about to make a terrible decision that will affect the rest of his life. So next time, Jill, we all right on psychological safety? We're all right on psychological, psychological safety. safety. So join us then. Take care. Bye.